heard a story this week about a boy who went to his mother and asked the question that every parent uh, tries to avoid with a passion, where did I come from? And the mother panicked, and she said, well, you came from a stork with blue wings, and that confused him greatly. And so he went to his grandmother and said, Grandma, I, I heard this story about where I came from. Where did my mom come from? And Grandma panicked, and she said, you came from a stork with pink wings. All of this didn't make any sense to him. The next day he was at school. His friend saw he was troubled. And he says, what's wrong with you? And he said, I just learned that for the past three generations, there's not been a normal birth in my family. His friend followed by saying, Dad said normal for the birds. I don't know if that hits, fits with the story or not. Every day, 385,000 children are born. Enter into this world, 385,000. Each one of them bear the power and the wisdom of God. Each one of them special to the families in which they are born. And yet, I believe we can say together that there's not really anything remarkably different. Birth is a normal occasion, a gift from God, but something that happens all the time. But it's this season where we are reminded by a lot that takes place around us that there was a birth that took place that was unlike any before it or after it. It's a season where there are many who celebrate the birth of Jesus, and that's done so in a lot of different ways. It's marked and recognized by pageants and plays, by songs that will air on the radio or streaming network, however you listen to certain songs today, by nativity scenes that may be outside of people's houses or inside on, on decorative tables. If you're visiting with us today, you may recognize that this Sunday looks like every Sunday here for this congregation. Reason being is that there's nothing in the Word of God that directs us to a special observation of the Lord's birth or of other significant times, like His triumphal entry or His ascension into heaven. Each of those moments are significant in the life of Jesus, but there's nothing in the Word of God that would provide us a reason, a direction, a way of us of marking that in any kind of specialized fashion. And that's our aim, is to try and do exactly what the Word of God teaches. The reason, though or perhaps not the reason that we don't have a special celebration, is not because we think the birth of Jesus is insignificant. In fact, the birth of Jesus is the most important birth that will ever take place in the history of the world. And that's what I want us to talk about today. With our friends and our neighbors primed with this fresh on their minds because of the nature of the season, I want us to consider this morning what makes the birth of Jesus so significant. In fact, what makes the birth of Jesus extraordinary? We might start right here. The birth of Jesus involved prophecies. One of the unique things about birth today is the expected announcements. So when people are expecting, they announce it in all sorts of special ways. They get their pictures and their props and their toys, and they announce it to their friends on social media in just the right way to show that this is something special for the family. But there has not been an announcement of a birth that could triumph or trump what was said of Jesus because it didn't come nine months before he came into the world. It came all the way back in the very beginning. And Genesis 3.15, Jesus speaking, or God speaking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. All the way back in the very beginning, there was the prophecy, the promise that there was going to be a child of the woman who would change the world, who would end the evil one and undo his great works. And all through the Old Testament scripture, we get glimpses, promises, 
of this one who was to come. And in fact, many of those prophecies were very specific, like when he was going to arrive on the scene, when Daniel said, in the days of those kings. He's speaking about the time of the Romans. He says that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. In the time of the Romans, this kingdom is going to come, which will stand and never come to an end. We know where, where he was going to come, because the prophet Micah tells us that in Bethlehem, of all cities, the small city of Bethlehem is where one would go forth to be the ruler of Israel. In fact, we're even told through the prophet Isaiah, not just when, not just where, we're told how he would come into the world, that he would be born of a virgin. She would be with a child and bear a son, and she would call him Emmanuel. Long before he ever arrived on the scene, there was a prophecy that he was coming. His birth is also extraordinary because of his existence before his birth. For every single one of us, our starting place is when we came on the scene. Not just our birth, specifically speaking, nine months before our birth, at our conception. But the unique thing with Jesus, the Son of God, is that he existed long before he stepped on the, on the soil of this earth. In fact, one of the names given to him in the prophet, uh, through the prophecy of Daniel is that he is called the Ancient of Days, which means before there was Joseph and before there was Mary, before there was Rome, before there was a testament change, before there was a captivity, before there was a Jerusalem, before there were kings, before there was Moses, before there even was a nation Israel, even before Abraham, the father of the faithful, before Noah and the ark, before Adam and Eve in the garden, in fact, before even the world was, Jesus existed. Unlike any before, because he has always been. What makes the birth of Jesus extraordinary is the miraculous arranging of his birth. Because as the, as the Holy Spirit announces through the angels what is to come about Jesus' entrance into this world, both Joseph and Mary struggle understanding what this means. And so in Matthew chapter 1, when the angels are announcing to Joseph what is to come, it says in verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." had to have a specific revelation by God saying, this is not something of your doing. It's not an accident. It's certainly not a measure of sin. This is nothing but the power and the plan of God. In the book of Luke chapter 1, the same thing is spoken, but to Mary. Because when Mary is told the same message, that she is going to bear this son, in Luke chapter 1, Mary asks the question in Luke 1 and verse 34. She says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. 
and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. If God can allow a woman far outside of the birthing age to conceive a child, God can certainly even do this, to allow a woman, a virgin, to conceive simply by the power, the plan, the majesty of God himself. There's also the extraordinary fact that there are events that take place when Jesus were born that were just simply amazing. I'll give you two. In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is born, Luke chapter 2 now, in Luke chapter 2, it says in verse 8 that in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, in verse 13, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the night? Don't imagine they went to sleep that night. The earth is filled with heavenly hosts as they welcome the Savior with songs of jubilant praise. Now, at the same occasion, it's a later date, and it's important for us to, to, to notice this. Back in Matthew chapter 2, there's something else that takes place around the birth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 2, all it says in Matthew 2, beginning of verse 1, is that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea and the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. I don't know about you. I have a lot of questions uh, about these verses, and I don't believe I have a lot of answers. It seems like all we know are there are Magi. In fact, there's a few things we know that might dismiss some of the Christmas cards some of you have already received in the mail. First of all, they're not there for when Jesus is born. He's already born at this time. And secondly, we assume that there's three of them because down in verse 11, they bring three gifts, but we're not told how many are present among this group of magi. My question is, who are these guys? Who, who's this magi? It says they came from the east. Is that from, from Persia? Did they come from Babylon? Do we know? How did they know about Jesus? In fact, what's the deal with this star? In what way did they know that following a certain star would lead them to this one who is named Jesus. I have a lot of questions about this. What seems clear underneath all of this is that there must have been some revelation by God given to these men to direct them to Jerusalem. I'll tell you one thing we do know. Despite all the stories we try and weave about these magi, here's the point. The birth of this child was not just significant to the Jews. It was significant to the whole world. The angels rejoicing in Luke 2 was a promise that was given back to the prophet Isaiah that there was one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, the Son, the triumphant one, to bring good news. I bring good news of great joy. But then here come these magi, and they are excited, not as the people of God, but they're coming from the east, 
and they are excited about Jesus. And that takes us back to Malachi, because in Malachi 5 and verse 4, it says, And he will arise and shepherd back, uh, shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. Where will his greatness end? Over whom will his greatness be experienced? Over all the earth, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every knee. That's the point of the Magi. The earth was excited to receive their king. What makes this birth extraordinary is, is the fact that there's some amazing proclamations. Oh, but you, if you have some children, if you ever gave birth to a child, you would hear good things. That is a beautiful baby that is the most beautiful baby to ever come into the world or you might say that's a really healthy baby and you kind of wonder what that means when they say that about your child but there's some amazing things that are said but none of them compared to what is said of jesus because in matthew chapter one joseph is told in matthew chapter one matthew chapter one and verse 23 behold a virgin shall be with a child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which translated means god with us what is he saying god is coming among his people mary is told before jesus arrives on the scene luke chapter 1 and luke chapter 1 she is told in verse 32 that he will be great and will be called be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end he will be great, he will be king, and he will rule forever. In chapter 2, when the angels come, did you notice what they said of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 2? When they said in verse 11, did you notice the designations they gave to him? What beautiful language. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you, notice it, there has been born a Savior. The one who has come to save his people from their sins. Who is Christ, the promised Messiah, the promised one from ages past, Christ the Lord. He is your ruler. He is your king. He is the one who has come for his people. But then there was great opposition. There was great opposition at the birth of Jesus. You see, back in Matthew 2, when the Magi come to Herod and they ask the question, where is the king of the Jews? It's obvious they're not asking the man who thought he was the king of the Jews. And so his response in Matthew chapter 2, notice the relationship. They ask in verse 2 of Matthew 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Here's the response in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Notice, and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod is troubled, Jerusalem is troubled. Herod is a man who was known as a cruel, vicious leader who had no problems killing anyone who was in his path. And here is a man who is threatened by the announcement of this king, and so he weaves this plan to tell these magi to secretly go and find where this child is so he can go and remove this king. But the magi are told in our context down in verse 12, by God himself to not do so, to not return to Herod. And so right here in our context, Matthew 2 and verse 16, it says, And when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. 
And he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been de determined by the Magi. It's a horrific scene. A man enraged with jealousy, so protective of his pride, great in his own eyes, slaughters all these boys, these baby boys in Bethlehem. The reality is, while this seems vicious at the scene, and it seems so turbulent when you consider Jesus coming into the world, we are shown by the last book in the Bible that there's something a lot deeper, a lot darker going on behind the scene. The Revelation 12, it says in verse 4 that, that his tail, the dragon's tail, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child, and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. There's a lot going on there, but here's what's being described. Satan the dragon, the serpent of old, and he knows there's a child coming to earth, and this child is destined to rule with a rod of iron. Have you heard that somewhere recently in a sermon? And so this dragon will stop at nothing to keep this child from coming into the world, including moving a pharaoh to kill all the baby boys in Egypt, including twisting the heart of a man named Haman to kill all of the Jews who existed in Susa, including twisting the heart of a man named Herod to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. He will stop at nothing to keep this child from coming to earth. And maybe that's the biggest, most extraordinary thing about it, is why he came. You ask that to most parents, why are you having a child? And you're going to get some varied answers, but majority of them are circled around love. Because you love children and you love life and maybe something you want to give or pass along a legacy a name or just the fact you want to have a family realizing the love and, and the harmony that can exist in a good home but that wasn't jesus mary and joseph didn't have a reason in this they were told the reason he was coming there was a purpose already given to him in matthew chapter 1 joseph is told in matthew 1 verse 21 that his wife mary she will bear a son and you shall call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sin. That's why he is coming, to save his people, to save them from their sins. And so in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is brought to Jerusalem, and he is brought there to be uh, uh, demonstrated before the temple, there's a man filled with the Holy Spirit whose name is Simeon, and this is what he says. Verse 29 of Luke 2, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. And in verse 34, he blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. He's coming to save his people. He is coming to save the world. 
But that salvation will come with a great cost. Because do you remember after he announces again and again and again to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem? My soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I have come. It's the reason I've come. There is no question the birth of Jesus is one of the most extraordinary, it is the most extraordinary births of all human history. Here's our question this morning. The question is not, is the birth of Jesus extraordinary? The question is, is the birth of of Jesus something that's just ordinary to me? Has the birth of Jesus become something so common in my eyes? Have I lost sight of the significance of, in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe? Because the birth of Jesus is meant to be something powerful. It's meant to be something immensely life-changing for us because one of the things the birth of Jesus communicates is this. It's a God who loves the world. So often when we point to the love of God, we look at things like Romans 5 and verse 8. For God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see the love of God through Calvary. Have you ever considered the glimpse of the love of God through the birth of Jesus? How just he coming to earth in such a simple and humble way is a deep demonstration of how much he loves and cares for us. One of my favorite hymns about the birth of Jesus is the song Emmanuel. We sang it quite a bit back in Chattanooga. And these are the words of the hymn. God incarnate can it be, ponder now the mystery. He the fount of eternal life must drink the cup of mortality. Shepherds wander at the scene, swaddling clothes for deity. Heaven's throne, now a bed of straw within these borrowed stable walls. God creator, now created, Lord of all in infancy. Hands that lighted the evening stars reach out for comfort in Mary's arms. Emmanuel, God with us. I know, as, as, as Ricky said today, that there are some things so hard to grasp. It's just so hard for us in our, our, our feeble minds to really wrap our minds around, our, to, to grasp with any kind of, of, real, of real confidence. Outside of, of Cincinnati, there's a museum, a creation museum. It's been there for a while now, but one of the new displays there is about life, about the beginning of life from, con- from conception to birth. And the models they have are beautiful, so let me just put some on the screen And just get that in our mind. The God infinite in power and in being and in supremacy who had no restrictions of who he is became single selves. A simple fertilized egg. And allow the process of time to develop these crucial organs that would bring about his life. He allowed himself who spoke this world into existence to be completely dependent upon his mother. 
and the most fragile place that exists and the precious womb of Mary. Till by time and God's plan, the Word of God took His first breath. Why did He do this? Why? Of all the ways to come into this world, why? Why this way? Because He is a high priest who fully understands and is able to help us in our time of great need. Because in our greatest desperation, he came so that we would not be abandoned and orphaned, just as he came into this world apart from, from the glories of heaven, but that we would be adopted into his family, forgiven of our sins. Why did he come this way? He came near so that we could be drawn near to God. How do we sing it? Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Why did he choose a lowly birth? Because he loved his hope. Perhaps there's an equally beautiful picture of the depth of God's love and Jesus' willingness come to earth as a babe. But it also demonstrates to us a world in great need of Jesus. There's a lot of movies I like this time of year. I have a long list, and there's, there's just so many that are so good. One of my favorite shows goes back to 1940. Six black and white where Jimmy Stewart plays the man George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. I just love that story. It's just such a perfect timeless story. Story about a guy who works for a small savings and loan company in small Bedford Hills and always dreams about something a lot bigger and greater than where he is. But in the movie when things go south and he ends up owing a lot of money, he decides it's better just to end his own life but is saved by an angel. And instead of being grateful, he says, I wish I never was born, and that is the gift he has given, to see life as if he never existed. And what he comes to realize through the twisting of a fairly short movie is that the people he loved the most and the things he needed the most, he had even back in small Bedford Hills. Beautiful. If you've not watched the movie, get your kids together and watch the movie. It's a beautiful movie. Do you ever wonder that, though? Have you taken the premise of that neat movie and run through that in your mind? What if he said no? What if he never came? But what if Jesus never left heaven's throne and came to earth? What would be different? I mean, think about that for a moment. What about our life, your life would be different if he never came? We wouldn't be here, that's for sure. We wouldn't be here this morning. In fact, most of us wouldn't even know each other. We might not be married to the people that we're married with today. We'd be a lot less, a lot less joyful. We'd be far more grumpy and angry and bitter. We'd be far more resentful, far more like a world who doesn't know about the glorious hope. There'd be no crosses, no empty tombs. There'd be no symbol of hope or victory in dark times. We would be a people, as Paul would say, who would be pitied the most if he didn't come. And that's what I love about our brother Kelly's in, uh, words at the table. It's because he came. It's because he came, and not just to give us life eternal, he came to give us life abundant today. Today, He came to bring a blessing. Life abundant in joy, 
abundant in goodness, abundant in mercy, abundant in purpose, abundant in him. It's because he came. question is, am I living today as if Jesus never came? Am I living today as if Jesus never actually did leave heaven's side? Am I trying to solve all the world's problems on my own as if Jesus doesn't exist? Am I facing the hardships and darkness of life as if there is no Savior, no promise of eternal life, no victory beyond the grave? Am I living the story of it's a wonderful life as if Jesus actually never came? I think for a lot of us, we, we, we felt something really heavy this week. Because someone who has meant a lot to us finished his journey on earth and went back, back home to heaven. Our brother Pearl, Paul Earnhardt meant a lot to a lot of us. He was a hero of mine. There was an interview he did for the Appian Media Trial and Triumph. And I wanted to read it to you today, but think it would be better if he said it to you this morning. Every age and every generation, Christians face the same challenges. It may be in varying degrees in different generations, but they're all there. Revelation is significant. Mm -hmm. It gives us a vision of a time and place when there are no more tears, Amen. no more sorrows, no more disease, no more death, no more sin. That is the most blessed thought. And he, he intends these letters to the churches to turn them in their course. There never has been an idyllic time when we would say the churches were all doing well. And certainly things were not perfect in the churches of Asia. There will be opposition. The culture in which we live is never on our side. The gospel is always countercultural. It always will be a minority movement. Jesus did not come into the world to change political systems. He did not come into the world to change economic systems. He did not come into the world to change social institutions. He came into the world to change people. Two generations from Pentecost, and already this has happened in the church. Yeah, two generations away, and you already have Christians that are leaving their first love, Christians that are so complacent, Jesus is just about ready to remove them from his presence. And you have John isolated on an island because of his testimony for Jesus. But the important thing about those letters is he has not given up on them. He came to change people. came to change hearts. The message of the Gospels and the message in Revelation, message from the Word of God is, He's not given up on you yet. That's why He came. Right here in our hymn book is a song you could probably sing it. We're not going to sing it today, but you know the words. Think it with me. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. 
Savior, Revelation 3 and verse 20 says, stands at the door and knocks. For those who will open and allow him in, he will come and will dine with them. The Savior stands and he knocks. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, to set him aside as our Lord in our hearts. A willingness that says, I, I want to make him the Lord and the King of my life. And so I am willing to do everything that King Jesus says. To turn from my sins, to repent of those, to confess him as my Lord, to be baptized in his name, to live each day surrendering to the beautiful words, the Lamb of God. The Lord came just as the angels promised he would. And the angels have said he's coming again. If he came just as it was said, then we have every right to believe he's coming again, just as it was promised. And so today, what the Lord has given us this day, this great opportunity, let's prepare room in our hearts for Jesus. Let's receive our King. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.